because there is a line from the book of Haggai, one of the minor prophets with a major message that promises us that the dear desire of every nation, that is the coming of the Messiah, shall come, and that he will come back uh, to the temple there in Jerusalem, which the Lord Jesus did and cleansed it, and then showed that there was no further need for that kind of temple, but that uh, uh, he was the temple that would be destroyed and then resurrected in three days, and then a new body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, his church, would be created. Now look at the little green sheet. I promised you last Sunday that I would put this chart in uh, to uh, show you something of the history, and then this will help us pick up on the lesson. We study the, the long scope of history and see God as he calls out Abraham. And uh, he calls him for the purpose of creating a special nation. And Abraham's family comes into being. It is headed by Jacob. And then we see them as they have to go into Egypt. And uh, then when they have gone into Egypt, you see them walking one way into Egypt in the little uh, caricature that's there. And then you see Moses bringing them out about 1290 B.C. After this, they settle in Canaan. They are under the leadership of Joshua. And uh, then they are led by a series of prophets. And uh, Samuel is one of them. And then by judges. And then after this, there is a... Um, a, a kingdom created uh, through the great work of Saul and of David and Solomon. But after Solomon, you remember I said that a brash young man came to the throne, Solomon's son Rehoboam, and through his impudence and arrogance, the kingdom was split in two. And so you have Judah on one side, Israel on the other in your diagram, and then you see that after a time they are taken, uh, Judah into the Babylonian captivity, and Israel is under the heel of Assyria. Then they come back from the period of the captivity. Now, remember this. It's always confusing to try to teach uh, some history of this because there is more than one taking away into captivity that occurred. And there is more than one return that comes back uh, to Jerusalem. But after God's purposes have been accomplished and uh, more than 50 years they have been there, God permits a return of his people. They come back under Ezra. Uh, and under Ezra's preaching, uh, great things begin to take place. A cornerstone is laid for the temple. And the temple was the reason that Cyrus allowed them to go back because he reckoned that the center of their culture and of their nation was their religion. We in the United States with our idiocy of secularism in trying to banish God from everything will only create confusion. We can't live without God, nor without his rules, nor without his commandments. The glue that holds us together will simply go apart. But God doesn't look in things. We think of the great Marxist revolution in 1917, and we think of the things that occur uh, only 60 or 70 years go by. 
Uh, in here, God's purposes are being worked out on the big screen of history. Well, after Ezra preaches and the cornerstone is laid, the people start to build the temple, but they don't get on with the job. And this is what makes Haggai's uh, task interesting and applicable to each of our lives in a wonderful way. Uh, he comes with the business of trying to encourage people, and God's Spirit speaks through him, and he does encourage them to get on with the building of the temple. Let me pick up uh, it uh, in the translation, which I'm going to change a few words in, uh, in chapter 1, and read you the first of the messages that he brings. They're called oracles or messages from God. There are four of them in the two chapters of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozdek, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time is not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Remember, 16 years have gone by. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourself is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little, you eat but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough for your thirst to be quenched. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough, and he who earns wages to put into a purse, uh, but he who earns wages put them, puts them into a purse with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs into his own house, Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I called for a drought on the land, and on the mountains, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and on the oil, and on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, 
the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. Amen. Now let us worship God with our gift. Many of you know that I'm always pushing uh, the Scripture Union uh, a little quarterly. One of the reasons that I love this thing so much is that it is one of those wonderful little uh, devotional aids that keeps you reading in the Bible. And it keeps you from reading your favorite spot over and over. And so that means you'll read in a book like Haggai. I don't read Haggai every day. Uh, <laughs> you may, uh, but I don't. But when I read it, and then Scripture Union with its blessed old saints of God who have no other task, no sectarian policy is being pushed. Uh, they don't rabbit chase with as many illustrations as I use. But they uh, bring out important things that are be remembered. And one of the writers on Haggai uh, begins the introduction by quoting from one of the founders of the China Inland Mission a man whose name was D.E. Hostie, H-O-S-T-E. And uh, in his old age, he was asked by um, someone who came to interview him about the mission, how it had developed in his long lifetime. And this man who was famous for his sardonic humor thought for a while, and this was his reply. Well, we began with great men living in little houses. Now we have little men living in great houses. <laughs> you ever seen that happen? <laughs> well, it does sometimes. And uh, uh, anybody can be a great man in a great house if he's called to live in the midst of soul-shattering world events. But it's far harder to be an unimportant person living for God in the midst of humdrum, ordinary events. Uh, to be, in fact, great men in little houses. Some of us have given up on our illusions of greatness. And when you come to church, you know I'm not Billy Graham. And I know you're not the White House and the President's people. And uh, so we get that out of the way, and we say, now, God, what are you going to do by your Holy Spirit in working through us in creating the purposes for which you brought us here, and what is the lesson that a fellow like Haggai has? Well, there are many lessons that Haggai has. I've been surprised at the lessons that he brings to us. The first lesson is one of those lessons that our guitarist uh, should have had lead us in singing this morning from Matthew 16. 33. It's seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Because, as I told you a moment ago, when these people had gone back to their land to rebuild their temple, the temple of God, they got started on it. A great ceremony was made, and the cornerstone was laid, and then they did a almost a Presbyterian thing. They got distracted into building their own houses. 
and in other things that they wanted to do. And some years went by. And then it became the task of this man who is usually considered a layman, who came and gave a stirring sermon and preached to them. He preached to them about the, the about, he said, the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? In other words, you're saying it's not time to put God first. And that's wrong. God always is to be put first. That's Old Testament and New Testament. And it's a lesson that we have to learn. That Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will be added unto you. But here Haggai is saying to these people, you're saying we don't have a good time uh, to build the Lord's house. And he's saying, well, it may not be a good time to build the Lord's house, you're saying, but it's a good time for you to build your house. And yet you leave his house in ruins. So you have a wrong allocation of your priorities. You are not putting first things first. And so this first lesson from Haggai is one of rebuke. And I want to illustrate this in two or three ways. One is from a very favorite quotation of mine from Queen Elizabeth. She was told by her mother when she became Queen of England, a very beautiful thing. Her mother said, remember my dear, that life is made up of loyalty. Loyalty to one's country and family and friends, loyalty to things beautiful and good and true, and above all else, loyalty to God, for this is the loyalty that binds all other loyalties together. And that's true, loyalty to God. And so what Haggai is seeking to bring to the minds of these people is that their loyalty to God must come first and they must fulfill their obligations and their responsibilities to Him before they are to panel their houses and to do all that they want to do. And He tells them this is why they have not been satisfied. And you know this is one of the most important lessons that young people can learn too, our students in the college. Uh, it's far easier and more exciting to win someone to Christ, quotes, quotes, than it is to get on with the business of encouraging someone who's backslidden or someone who is discouraged in his life or her life for the Lord. And we make a big mistake when people come in and say, well, I was in a Bible study last night and 14 people raised their hands and they became Christians. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. You better follow up a little bit. You better not count so quickly. They may make a profession of faith, 
and we may rejoice and be glad that they have and seek to encourage them. Well, what are you going to do when this person slides away or shows no longer any interest? You've got to go and you've got to encourage them. And that's not as exciting as the other things ought to be. Sometimes in life, responsibilities, the business of studying is not exciting. Uh, it's not always aspiring, but it has to be got on with if we're to do what we came here to do in school. In the home, marriages do not just stay together unless someone works at it and unless someone shows love. One of the people who taught me a great lesson about, uh, about these people saying it's not the time to build the Lord's house or it's not the time to read the Bible or it's not the time to do God's thing first was Dr. Nelson Bell, who used to teach his Sunday school lesson from right here. And once Dr. Bell called me and he said, Leland Wong, a Chinese Bible teacher who is an old friend of mine, is here in Montreal. And uh, he said, I would like to bring him up to speak to the students. Can you arrange it? And I said, yes. And so Leland Wong came and he stood here behind this pulpit and he spoke to our students. And Leland Wong began his little talk with a very famous slogan of his that's been quoted by a lot of other people, but I remember him using it right here in this chapel. He was telling about taking the time to do God's work first. And he was talking about the importance of reading the Bible and praying each day. And Leland Wong said that the way he had made himself to do this was that he had developed a slogan called, No Bible, No Breakfast. Anyone who looked at Leland Wong know that he ate breakfast, knew that he ate breakfast. He was a very portly Chinese. And uh, I'm sure that when he waked up in the morning after fasting through the night, uh, he was ready to eat, or at least he wanted something to eat. But in order to discipline himself to read his Bible, he made it the rule, no Bible, no breakfast, that he would read something in the Word of God before he would eat, and this would remind him of it, and he would hold to that rule. So he was putting God first. And in putting God first, he was getting things in order and in priority, and God blessed him, and he grew, and his books have been a great source of encouragement to us. And then I mentioned the home. I remember going by Dr. Bell's one day. He was the, um, he had been the moderator of the General Assembly of our church, every distinguished thing that could come to him. And, I, he had a basement study that was a very humble little place where he worked in his home. And a lot of letters he wrote on his own typewriter and he had the hunt and peck system and he pecked them out and wrote them on his typewriter. He was very neat and he put uh, the stamp on them and to keep them from forgetting these letters uh, he would throw them down right by the door and uh, then when he would get up to leave to go up the stairs and leave his study. He would see his letters down there and he'd pick them all up and take them to the post office. 
And I came down the stairs one day, and when I walked in, I saw this cluster of letters, all typed and neatly stamped, but flung over next to the door so that when he came out, he'd pick them up. And I said, well, you got some correspondence there this morning. And he said, do you know what that is? I said, no. And he said, those are letters of resignation from boards and agencies and things that I belong to. He said, Mrs. Bell has been operated on by Dr. Callison, and he has told me that she will not be able to walk again. And he said, I'm not going to be able to go to some of these meetings of these different boards that are here. For 50 years, she has been everything that I could ever want as a wife and supported me in my work. And as far as I'm concerned, what God wants me to do now is to take care of her. I thought that was one of the most beautiful things I ever saw. But it was not just something that he said, it was something that he did. I would come by his house often and I would stop in because he was one of those people that I always got a blessing from visiting with and I, it was selfish of me but I always liked to go and see him because he, he did something for you. And uh, I walked into his uh, kitchen and he would be preparing supper. And he, he was a surgeon, of course, and he had a cup towel over a thing and he would have his instruments of, uh, that he was going to cook with all laid out just like a surgeon who was going to operate. And, uh, and you know, he hadn't been used to doing this, but he would do that and he would prepare her supper. And he would take it in and they would watch the six o'clock news. And uh, if I came in there uh, at the time when he was cooking, he'd say, I don't have time to talk now. I'm trying to get this cooked for supper. And uh, I knew that. Well, I appreciated the fact that he was putting first things first. That he was uh, making a good testimony there in his home of the love that they had for one another. And it was an inspiring thing to me. And so, uh, in our work for the Lord, uh, we put God first. Now, we don't have satisfaction in marriage unless we put each other first. We don't have satisfaction in our faith unless we put the Lord first. That loyalty binds all of the loyalties together. If we go after these other things first, they lose their meaning. Haggai says, you have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but your thirst is not quenched. You put on clothing, but no one is warm. And he who earns puts his wages into a purse with holes in it. They carried their money in a little money bag. And uh, he was saying, you're putting your gold in this and not paying attention and it's falling out. These old uh, prophets had a way of giving sort of object lessons. And I could just imagine one of them putting a bunch of gold coins in some leather purse that had a rotten hole in it and they would fall out in front of the people and all those Jewish eyes would go looking at those shekels falling on the floor. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, then he would teach them a lesson from it. He'd say, you don't have satisfaction uh, because you're not giving to God uh, first. 
And if you stop to think of America with its enormous affluence, why? Why is it that we have an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases, an epidemic of alcoholism and drug addiction and cocaine at such a tremendous expanse across the country? I know a dear friend of mine who was catapulted into a prominent position in Miami, who flew to Europe back and forth for big meetings, young fellow, powerfully built, good athlete, and then I had to go through the sadness of being called one day by his brother, saying to me, Christopher is dead. He went to a party Friday night. He OD'd on cocaine, and he is dead. He would have been he was already one of the leading citizens of that community. But why had life become so boring for him that he had to drug himself into oblivion at a cocaine party seeking some kind of high, some sort of experience? It was there. It was because God was not put first. It's very simple. God was not put first, and so there is no satisfaction there. We lose our money through inflation. We lose our money through other ways. God is not first. And so the prophet says in verse 7, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain. Your faith is going to mean that you're going to have blistered hands. You've got to go up there and pull some rocks and, some, and bring down some wood. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs into his own. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil and on that which the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your land. And then the little historical, that's the, the oracle, the speech that he uttered. Then Zerubbabel, don't be put aside by this name. He is a governor, and leaders are important. I have some friends, and many of you uh, know the International Christian Leadership Conference that works in Washington, and anyone who has ever had contact with a president or a senator or a congressman or someplace in Washington, if he is a Christian, will usually meet some of these people who quietly work seeking to witness to uh, people in leadership positions not because they are preferable, but because they are in strategic positions. And if they witness to them by praying for them, then hopefully uh, they can use the resources of their office and their opportunity to do good and to do righteousness. And so Zerubbabel is a governor, and Joshua is the high priest, so the government and the priest, um, and then all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them and the people showed reverence for the Lord. 
the people showed reverence from the, from, for the Lord. And then verse 14 says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit. Boy, uh, that would be great in Presbyterian circles, wouldn't it? So the Lord stirred up the spirit to do something. That's a revival. That's when something happens. The Lord stirred up the spirit and they came together and they worked on the house of the Lord. Now anytime you do begin to work on the house of the Lord or to do some work that he has called you to do, uh, you can know that there will come times of discouragement and so some discouragement comes. The devil is the great discourager. That's his instrument. He always comes to discourage us in, in marriage, to discourage us in uh, home life, to discourage us in church life, to discourage us in our studies, to discourage us in our pursuit of what we're doing. But remember, if we keep the priority right, if we seek God first, and then go for what God tells us to seek first, then we can keep on going. We will have the right harmony, and we will have the right push for the work. And so, uh, when they become discouraged, they are told to take courage. They are told to take courage again. Why? Because the Lord says, I am with you. This is in chapter 2. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, all the way back there, if I brought you out of that place, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not be afraid. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land. We see shakings that take place all the time, but God's purposes are not going to be thwarted. Keep at your uh, purpose of putting him first and of doing his will and of the things that he tells you to do. A couple of weeks ago, our oldest son, Sam, who is practicing as a psychiatrist at Duke Medical Center and now in a geriatric fellowship program, called and said he wanted to know if it was okay to come home for uh, a Friday night and Saturday and be here Sunday morning and go back. And of course, we're always delighted to have them come. And I said, can you get here for supper? And he said, no. And I said, well, can't you just leave a little bit early so we can have you for supper? And he said, no, I see my boss at 4 o'clock. I said, who's your boss? He said, a bunch of old folks. He said, they're my patients. And he said, uh, uh, that's why I'm here. It's to treat them and to learn from them. And then in Sam's funny way of putting it, he said it would be pretty uncool for me to go in and tell them that I was leaving for a happy weekend in the mountains at 4 o'clock. And so he said, we'll get there, but it'll be about 10.30. And you know, I got to thinking about it after I hung up, and I thought, that's not a bad boy. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he is doing right, because that's putting first things first. Uh, it's putting God first, who called him to go into medicine, and is putting his patients first because he needs to look after them and to care for them and be sensitive to their feelings. And so that's important there. But still there will be troubles that come to us, but the troubles that come, God says, for thus the Lord of hosts once more in a little while and I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations. We see governments after government after government tumble. And they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house 
that desire of nations. One day, the people did come to Jerusalem, and the Lord Jesus came to the temple, and the wise men came from afar. The Lord was not worried about the silver and gold. There he is, declares the Lord. And the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. There were people who said, well, this doesn't look like the old temple that Solomon built. And they were weeping and comparing it to that. And there were younger people who hadn't even seen Solomon's temple, and they said, well, it looks pretty good to us. And so these two had to be reconciled. And then they had to be taught that the important thing was not the $900,000 organ and all of the stained glass windows and the, the beauties that were there, but that the Spirit of the Lord should be in that place. And that's what Jesus is seeking to teach us there. And so God does use them. And they, there is a homely little illustration that's used here in the, in the third article. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cook food or oil or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. You could ask a priest anything, didn't hurt his feelings. Sometimes people say to me, do you want to talk shop? Yes, <laughs> I do. It's not shop to me. Faith in Christ ought not to be something that is shop. Uh, we, we want to share our faith. And they said to him the question, uh, he asked the question of them, if a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold, uh, is it holy? And they say, no. The priest says, no, it's not holy. Then Haggai says, if one uh, is unclean from touching a dead body, and this latter touches something, does it become unclean? And he says, oh yes, this is polluted. Now what's he teaching you? He's teaching you that you don't catch holiness by touching something. You can catch pollution and defilement that way, but holiness comes, uh, comes harder than that. Holiness comes harder than that, and he wants us to know it. And then he wants us to know also that his presence is with them. The end of this prophecy, he speaks again to Zerubbabel and compares him to a signet ring. A signet was very important. Uh, they often carried it in a chain about their neck and they stamped it on a document to show that it was sealed. And God said, I will fulfill my purpose. Though all the nations tremble, though civil war comes, I will fulfill my purpose. And God's purpose is being worked out and that he will fulfill it and he will bring it to pass and he wants him to know it. And how will he do this? He does it because the temple which we build is the temple of Jesus Christ. And that temple is meant to keep us strong. I've got to close now, but I hope you'll take this little green sheet and look at the questions on the back of it. And when you get a chance this afternoon or sometime this week, uh, put it inside your Bible at a modern translation of Haggai and see if you can answer some of those questions. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, 
When our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And let us bow in prayer. Room 10 is located right in back of the platform here. Our Father, for those who may have reached a slump in their Christian life or some point of discouragement in it, help them to be blessed by the knowledge that your servants have always uh, been reached by the comfort which you bring uh, to strengthen us and to take away that discouragement which Satan puts in our path. And that you want us uh, to go forward doing the things that ought to be done for your glory. Most of us know what they are. We need to get on with doing them. And Father, will you help us not to be bitter because you have caused some brother to a greater task and us to a lesser task, but help us to know that we can pick up a straw to your glory and that we can do something little and do it faithfully unto you and that that pleases you as much as any great person's great deeds that are done before men. And so bless each of us in our spot in life, helping us to fill it to the brim by honoring you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be with us all now and forevermore.